0: The word what is a very common word in our English language. It's also a very flexible word. It can be used as a noun, a pronoun, an adjective, an adverb. It can be used formally. Uh, It can be used informally. And we ask that question a lot, don't we? What happened? What's wrong with you? What was the sermon about? (laughs) We ask those questions a lot, and this morning in Acts chapter 9, I want to uh, pose or propose a few what questions for you that are, that are just gigantic. I mean, these are, these are really, really big questions. Acts chapter 9, and I want to start with this. What is it going to take for God to get your attention? What what is it going to take for you to sit up and look up, hear, and obey God? I'm going to look at two parts of this from this story. And and the first is this. Is it going to take a traumatic event to get your attention? Will it be a traumatic event? Is God going to have to really pop you or allow something to pop you to get you to sit up. In Acts chapter 9, God had to pop somebody to get their attention. Starting in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 9. And if you don't have a Bible, you can read along on the screen. But if you have your Bible, read along uh, with me. It starts, it says, Meanwhile, Saul, this is the guy who later becomes Paul, was breathing out murderous threads. Doesn't he sound like a sweetie? Breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, who was a Christian, a Christ follower, whether man or woman, isn't it nice to know Paul was an equal uh, hater there? and it would probably be young people too, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Verse 4, he fell to the ground. He heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, Saul asked. He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he got up and opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind. and He did not eat or drink anything. How many of you agree with me? This was an intention getter here. This was the, uh, the wake-up call for this guy. Who is this guy? Well, again, this is Saul who later we know is Paul. is one of the great heroes of the faith. He's not a hero of the faith at this point. This is probably three years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Saul is headed to Damascus. What is, what is this guy Saul like? Well, he's obviously not a Christian. In fact, he hates Christians with all of his uh, heart, soul, and mind. He is a devout Jewish person. Now, all this is very important. He's very religious. He is a Pharisee. A Pharisee is the Green Beret of Old Testament Judaism. I mean, this guy was, he goose-stepped. He was uh, intense. He, he was intense. He knew, and I don't mean this is a slam to any of us, he, he knew his Old Testament Bible probably better than anybody we've ever known. That, that was his, his uh, forte. He uh, probably was a very moral person, at least outwardly was moral. obviously he wasn't a very nice guy. Uh, you know, just that, that first verse, he was breathing out murderous threats. That just, ugh, you know, this was, is this was a bad situation. And since he got letters, he got letters from the chief priest... This are in the Sanhedrin the rulers of Judaism in Jerusalem he got these letters to, to to go to around the countryside to the different synagogues which is the Jewish version of the local church to go there to find out if, in, if anybody was a Christian and if you were a Christian he was going to have you arrested, he was going to arrest you and then he was going to take you back to Jerusalem where there was a decent chance you might get, to use Michael Franzese's terms, to get whacked I mean Uh, You know, it it was not going to go well with you. No, he's going, says, to Damascus. Damascus is still a very prominent city in the world today. In fact, there's a lot of activity. You don't want to take a vacation to Damascus right now. The church sends me to Damascus right now. I will get the hint. Uh, that's not good Damascus is the capital of modern-day Syria it's a a huge city about 1.7 million in Paul's day it was a prominent city if you know some about the New Testament the New Testament in, in the Gospels they talk about the Decapolis there were 10 cities in the Decapolis this is one of those 10 cities I want to show you on the map just to give you a little context uh, here's Jerusalem that you know kind of the hub of Judaism and Damascus is right here. It's about 150 miles northeast from uh, from Jerusalem. It, it would take him about five days to walk it. So Paul's headed up there to arrest Christians, and all of a sudden, before he gets to the city, God knocks him down. God, I, I, with a bright light from heaven, knocks him down. God speaks to him, and Paul's, Saul's life is turned upside down by this traumatic event. I want to ask you this morning, is it going to take something traumatic to get you on track with God? Maybe right now you're going through something. Maybe it's something with your health or with someone you love's health, which is worse, in my opinion, than it being your own. Maybe it's a problem with your marriage that is creating lots of pain. Maybe it's problems with your children, or maybe it's problems with your parents. Maybe it's problems at work. Maybe things are crumbling in on you emotionally. But here's one thing that happened this guy named Saul, I believe God may have been trying to get his attention for a long time and he wouldn't listen. And it took something really radical, really traumatic to get him to wake up. Now, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Romans 8, 28 is one of the great scriptures in the Bible. And it says, "All things In all things God works together for the good. It doesn't say all things are good. It doesn't even say all things are from God. It says, But no matter what happens, when we allow him to, God can take the worst events and use them for our good. See, some of the trauma in your life and my life, It's not from God. It's because we've sinned, other people sin, we do dumb things, and we're just reaping what we've sowed. Sometimes it's God himself coming down and popping us on the head or, again, using that event to pop us on the head to get us to sit up and wake up. I want to ask you this morning, is God trying to get your attention through something that's happened? Maybe you need to file this away for... Thursday or Friday of this next week when it happens or a month from now or two months from now. Is God trying to get you to wake up? Let me give you another option here. And here's a, here's a better option. Will you listen to a more subtle message? Does, does God have to knock you down or will a subtler message get through to you and me? In verse 10, it says, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias... And the Lord called to him in a vision. And I think this is pretty neat. Ananias didn't have to get knocked down, did he? God wanted to speak to him. He listened. Yes, God has to use pain for a lot of us, doesn't he? There was a great Russian writer named Alexander who ended up in in a Siberian prison in Russia in the old Soviet Union. If you don't know anything about that, that was a really bad place to be. And it was in that Soviet prison, he says, that comfort is the enemy of our souls. Most of us don't grow spiritually. Most of us don't grow radically. Most of us don't come back to God in a powerful way when things are too comfortable. Unfortunately, it takes suffering. C.S. Lewis, the great English writer, he said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but God shouts to us in our pain. But I don't know about you. I would rather be the one who listened to the subtle message. You see, God can use and God does use that pain. And some of you, he's trying to use that. In many of our lives, God's trying to speak to us through the Bible, through this sermon, through our music, through your daily prayer time, through your personal study of the Bible. In all those ways, I believe with all my heart. Like God spoke to Ananias, God wants to speak to us. A psychologist, Christian man in California, Christian psychologist named Archibald Hart, talks about seeing seeing clients for years, and they would come in with with all different stages of some of these things. But he said some would come in with the beginning of anxiety, or the beginning of depression, or the beginning of insomnia, or the beginning of Uh, of having stomach problems, and he said that not being a medical doctor but a counselor, he a lot of times would begin to, he would overlook what might be the root of those things. He said sometimes that inability to sleep or that depression or that anxiety may be God's subtle voice trying to get our attention. If you've ever had much anxiety, much insomnia, much depression on a higher level, you know that becomes a traumatic event in itself. I want to ask you this morning, what is it going to take for God to get you to sit up and listen? What's it going to take? Charles Stanley made a great comment. Charles Stanley a pastor at First Baptist Atlanta. He said, normally the way God works with us is God starts with the volume pretty low on the pain scale to get our attention. But the more we resist and the farther we push back, God slowly continues to turn up the volume. He just loves us enough that he wants to do whatever it takes to get us to respond to him. Question number one, what's it going to take? Question number two, what is God trying to say to you today? What's God trying to get across to you? If God's trying to get your attention, maybe in the subtle way, maybe through the pain of broken relationships, of, of, of life not working out like you thought it would, of a joyless existence, what is God trying to say to you? I want to give you a few options today that I believe God may be saying. I, I really, In fact, I believe everybody in here fits in at least one of these categories. Here's the first one. Maybe God's saying you need to give your life to Him. Maybe He's saying you need, to use our terms, you need to become a Christian. Now, you stay with me on this. It's easy for some of you church people to tune this out, but in verse 5, Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. In verse 17 through 19... Ananias went to his house. He entered it. He placed his hands on Saul. Brother Saul, that's pretty neat. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me to you that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit, that you may be saved now, Paul. Immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He got up. He was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. You know what? I bet when scales fall off your eyes, you get baptized and you eat. and You had to eat in three days you do feel better. But what about this guy becoming a Christian or getting saved? Listen, I want to tell you, if you would have talked to Paul 20 minutes before God knocked him down on that road, if you would have said to him, you are not right with God, and you're going to bust hell wide open if you died right now, he probably would have killed you, number one. But if he didn't kill you, he would have laughed in your face. I mean, this guy is hyper-religious, This guy, reading his his biography throughout the rest of the New Testament, this guy was a guy who knew the Bible, who studied the Bible, who was extremely devout, who believed in God. (laughs) Yet he had missed God in the most fundamental and basic ways. Undoubtedly, in, in a crowd this size this morning, there's people here who have missed Jesus. You know a lot about him. Maybe you know a whole lot about him. And you've done all the religious rituals, but he's never entered your heart. And maybe today, maybe something that's going on in your life, maybe something that may be going on in your life in a week is God's way of trying to say to you, I want to do whatever it takes to keep you from leaving this earth and going to hell. Maybe it's in a more subtle way, again, through the music or through the message. 1988 in my church, I was pastor. We were having a revival. It started on Wednesday night. It ran through Sunday morning. And on Friday night, a guy became a Christian. Came down during the invitation and was saved. And this was a guy we'd been praying for for a while. He was pretty rowdy. He was pretty wild guy. And he came down. And this guy didn't know hardly anything about God. He didn't know. He didn't come down and say, "Man, I just needed to get justified so I could get sanctified and be glorified." You know what he told me after he got saved? He goes, man, I was just sitting there and my feet were on fire. I had to move. We should have taken him to the baptistry, I guess. He said, I had to do something. You know, you may, you may think that's silly. It is funny, but I don't think it's silly. I think that was God pulling on his heart. And this guy's head was so hard, the only way he was going to get through to him was smoking his feet. Well, my dad was a young a youngster, he was 11, his father became a Christian, my granddad. And my granddad, by my father's account, had, um, had been a good father and a very hard worker, but he, he was a, a, not a very moral, or at least a, he was a, a wild man. He drank a lot. He, he, uh, he didn't live the way that you would want your dad to live. But he became a Christian. And my dad said it was a radical event that obviously changed his life and then ultimately mine. My my dad said that summer after my dad became a Christian, he was staying out in the country with some family members. And in this little community, they all had cars and trucks. But a lot of times when they would travel and they would carry things, they would do it by wagon. And, And two or three nights in a row, my dad said they were going home. And there was a country church having a revival, and it was in the summer in Arkansas, and they didn't have air conditioning, so the windows were open. Two or three nights in a row, he heard a beautiful old hymn, Softly and Tenderly, Jesus is Calling. And my dad said years later, he believed that was God's subtle way of saying, I'm calling you. I'm calling you to come to me. Maybe this morning, God's calling you. Maybe that trauma that you've been experiencing is God's way of saying, I want you to give your life to me. Let me give you a second option. Maybe it's God saying, come back to him. You see, a lot of you in here are Christians. But I'll be very frank with you. Some of you aren't Christians the way you need to be. Not that any of us are perfectly, for sure. But some of us as Christians, we're living on what it used to be like. And the truth is we, we, don't, we don't attend church, we don't serve, we don't give, we don't pray. We don't share our faith. We don't read our Bible near like we used to. And for some reason, we justify that. And and we, we feel like we've grown past that. Listen, you don't grow past prayer. You don't grow past church. You don't grow past the Bible. You don't ever say, I've served enough. I'm retiring on Jesus. And maybe God's using that pain in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your work situation, in your heart. Maybe God's using that pain to try to get you to radically come back to him. Or maybe it's that subtle voice that you're feeling tugging on your heart right now. And it's the Holy Spirit saying, get back to the way it used to be. Francis Thompson was an English poet in the 18th century. And he wrote a poem which was kind of an autobiography called The Hound of Heaven. And the poem is the, a description basically of his journey where as a Christian man, he struggled with his relationship with God for a long time. He struggled with, with being a drunkard. He struggled with straying away from the Lord. But he said it was like God put the hounds on him like a hound dog chases a prey. God would not leave him alone. You know, one way you can tell if you're a Christian, if you're not where you should be with God this morning, you're not happy. Because God never lets you alone. Maybe the hounds of heaven, in a traumatic way or maybe in a subtle way, are trying to get you back to where you once were. Here's a third option today. Maybe God has a specific task for you. Maybe God... Is trying to use that trauma. Maybe God is trying in that small voice to tell you he has something for you to do. In verse 11 and 12, the Lord told him, this is Ananias, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying, and in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his side. You know, we know hardly anything about this guy in Ananias. But boy, I'm going to tell you in just a second what a pivotal role he played in Christianity. Straight Street. You know, we have a picture of Straight Street. That is, that is it in Damascus. And again, it's so weird. You know, in America, if you can find something that's 200 years old, it's unbelievable. That, we believe, has been a, a, an existing street for over 2,000 years is that not incredible and some people say on that street that you can actually find the house Judas's house that's not Judas the disciple that's another guy named Judas straight street why was it called straight street here's what archaeologists believe because it was literally a straight street there was a lot of crooked streets I guess they had crooked street and dogleg street and hey well, well that's straight street and it literally ran east and west through the city of Damascus But here's what Ananias hears in a subtle way. He hears, you need to go to this guy Saul and help him get saved and get on his journey for me. Let's let's read his response in verse 13 through 15. Lord, Ananias answered, I'm so excited to go talk to this guy who's killing Christians. Can I leave right now? No, he said, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, You go and carry, uh, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings before the people of Israel. How many of you blame Ananias for not wanting to do that? Just me? Just me? Are you serious? Let me ask you again. How many of you would not have wanted to do that? This guy's killing Christians. This guy's shutting down churches. And don't you pray? I pray just like Ananias. I tell God things that like he doesn't know. But God, you know this guy. He's not a good guy at all. And by the way, that's how you should pray. You've got to be real. You've got to be honest. He says, God, I don't want to go talk to this guy. This guy is killing people like me. But I'll do it anyway. He probably told his wife on the way out, don't have the coffee on. (laughs) Bury me next to grandpa if I don't come back. But that but that still small voice, that subtle call of God, and he goes and he helps Saul become a Christian and he baptizes him. This is probably one of the top 5 events in the history of Christianity. Here here's this guy Saul who goes on and God uses to write 13 books in the New Testament. He's from Tarsus, which is a Greek city, so he knows Greek language and the Greek culture. He's a Roman citizen, which was huge in this day. He had spent a lot of time in Jerusalem training under the top scholars of his day, so he knows Judaism in and out. He's a tent maker, so he can go anywhere and support himself and start churches. This was one of the things that shook up, the, the, shaking up Christianity today. You see, maybe God's had to knock you over the head, or maybe God's pulling on your heart even this morning because he has something that he wants you to do. Somebody you need to talk to, someone you need to call, something you need to take care of. But let me give you a fourth option, too. Maybe God's got a new life direction for you. Maybe God has got something brand new for you. I'm not going to read the story again. But you're talking about a major life direction for Saul. Absolutely, part of this was salvation. But I I, I want you to see the irony of this, and, and and almost the humor in it. Saul hated Christians. Now he's a Christian. Saul hated churches. He's fixing to go start churches. He hated Christianity. He's fixing to be a missionary of Christians. He is a Pharisee. He will not talk to someone who is not Jewish. Did you get that? He would not talk to you or me who are not Jewish. Now God says, I'm making you a missionary to the non-Jewish people. God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? See, some of you have got in your mind exactly what you're not going to do and God may make you do that. Isn't that funny? I'm not going to do Don't You don't even need to whisper that. You see, maybe that, that problem or that issue or that pain may be God's way of saying, you need... A total new life direction. Maybe it's switching jobs or switching majors or switching careers. Maybe it's going to involve you moving halfway across the world. Well, I don't want to leave my family. Get them saved and you can spend eternity with them. Amen? I'm not teasing about that. Maybe God's going to cause you to stay right here in Ruston when you want to move halfway across the world. That can be just as hard. But maybe what's going on in your life, God's trying to get your attention because He has a radical new life direction for you. Maybe that subtle pull on your heart this morning is God trying to say, I've got something for you that's going to be totally different and it's going to be so awesome if you will do it. So here's the last question this morning What will you do? What will we do? You see, a sermon is different. It should be different from a lecture, whether it's a physics lecture or a Bible lecture or whatever it might be, because a sermon always should point us to action. It took Saul getting knocked down before he would act. Some of you have been knocked down and knocked down and knocked down, and you're still not acting. And you may die and go to hell someday with a bunch of scars on you where God was trying to get your attention, but you wouldn't act. Some of us as Christians, God's knocked us down. He's popped us upside the head. And we're so stubborn and hard-headed, we're going to live and die. We're going to go to heaven, but we're going to realize all we missed because we wouldn't obey God. Paul got the message, and he obeyed. Ananias heard the voice. And he obeyed. I read something this week. It said don't ever waste a good trial. (laughs) Paul didn't waste his. Don't waste yours. Let's pray. this morning if you're a Christian I just ask you to dig in for a few minutes to try to figure out what God may be saying to you if you're not a Christian or you're unsure I want to ask you if you want to very sincerely to pray with me and just say Jesus I'm a sinner and I want to repent of my sins. I believe Your God's son who died and rose for me. Jesus, come into my heart this morning. And Jesus, this day, this hour, I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention.